Online, welcome to Catholic View on this Wednesday evening. I'm Sheila Pitch. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be taking a look at the role of the Catholic Church in the Central African Republic. But for now, do stay with me as I'm about to bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, the source of hope is found in God's unconditional love, said Pope Francis at weekly general audience. Cancer crisis in KwaZulu-Natal worries SACBC Justice and Peace Commission. And Superior General of the Heralds of the Gospel resigns. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. At this morning's general audience, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on hope, this week recalling that it, at its core is God's unconditional love. He stressed that unhappiness is born of the feeling of not being loved and that despite our sins, God seeks us out, offers forgiveness and restores us. Philippa Hitchin reports from Vatican Radio. Buongiorno. Pope Francis began his reflection by noting that none of us can live without love, yet Many people today, he went on, are anguished or empty inside because they don't believe that they are beautiful or important enough to be loved by others. Imagine a world where everyone is seeking attention and no one is prepared to give love in a gratuitous way, he said. Behind so much narcissistic behavior and incomprehensible actions, we discover feelings of solitude and abandonment. When adolescents are unloved, the Pope continued, they may turn to violence violence, hatred or delinquent behavior. There is no such thing as bad children or evil adolescents, he said, but there are unhappy people. When we look and smile freely at someone who is sad, he said, we open their hearts and offer them a way out of their unhappiness. Pope Francis said that God loves us with an unconditional love, not because we deserve it, but rather because he himself is love. Like the father of the prodigal son, he said, God has compassion for us even when we are far away from him. He recalled also the mothers he met in Buenos Aires who continued to love their sons unconditionally even when they had done wrong and ended up in prison. It is a time of resurrection for us all, the Pope concluded, because Jesus died to forgive us our sins. It is time to lift up those who are discouraged and to live in the hope of God the Father who loves us forever just as we are. The Justice and Peace Commission of the South African Catholic Bishops' Conference, SACBC, has issued a statement concerning the severe shortages of cancer specialists and the poor management of cancer-related equipment in three hospitals in KwaZulu-Natal. SACBC Justice and Peace and Bishop of Kimberley, Abel Gabuza, is asking the country's health minister, Aaron Mutsweledi, to set up another task team as soon as possible to investigate the governance issues 
in the health department in KwaZulu-Natal that have contributed to the cancer treatment crisis. The SACBC Justice and Peace Commission has also asked the Human Rights Commission to investigate and reveal the number of patients who have been diagnosed between January 2015 and June 2017 with stage 1 cancer in various hospitals in KwaZulu-Natal. The commission hopes that the investigation should also reveal how many of them have died while waiting to access the MRI scan and to commence treatment. The superior of the Heralds of the Gospel, João Cladias, has announced his resignation as superior general. He thus opens the process for choosing a successor. In his resignation letter, the Heralds of the Gospel superior clarifies that he does not renounce his mission as a father and that he will continue at the disposal of each and everyone, knowing he is constituted by God as the model and living guardian of this charism. Brazilian 77-year-old João Sconiomilio Claudias founded the Clerical Society of Apostolic Life, Virgo Flos Carmeli, and the private association of faithful heralds of the gospel, well known for their characteristic habit. They claim that they are in almost 70 countries and have more than 4,000 members. Vaticanist Andrea Tornielli explains in the Vatican Insider that the resignation of the superior could have to do with the Vatican opening an investigation of the Institute. The Holy See wants to clarify if within this organization there is an exaggerated devotion to its founders and its hitherto superior, since it appears they were invoked for some prayers and even during alleged exorcisms. If the investigation is confirmed, his resignation will probably make clarifying the situation much easier. Zambian's Catholic Bishops' Conference has warned that the country is slipping towards dictatorship. This follows the suspension of 48 Zambian MPs for 30 days after they boycotted Zambian President Edgar Lungo's State of the Nation address in March, arguing that Lungo was not the legitimate winner of last year's election. The suspended 48 MPs represent nearly the entire parliamentary party of 58. Parliament Speaker Patrick Matibini labeled the MP's boycott as gross misconduct. Matibiti further stated that the suspension took effect immediately and challenged the suspended MPs to resign. The suspension followed Hakainde Hichilema, the leader of opposition party, the United Party for National Development, being imprisoned on treason charges. Father Samuel Okuedbe, a Jesuit who was kidnapped for three days in April while on his way to give a retreat in Onitsha, Nigeria, has discussed his experience on the website of Africa's Jesuit superiors. Father Samuel wrote, and I quote, In all these things God revealed to me that I was never abandoned while in the forest, even if I was out of reach and in danger, that God heard the prayers and was with me. I was in the valley of the shadow of death, and God intervened with all these prayers from people all over the world. If it were not for all these prayers, I would not have survived this ordeal. End of quote. The president of the Sudan Catholic Bishops' Conference, SCBC, 
which includes prelates from Sudan and South Sudan, have called upon the faithful of South Sudan to pray and to do penance for peace. Nearly 2 million of the nation's 12.3 million people have fled their homes since the South Sudanese civil war began in 2013. The death toll has approached 300,000. Responding to the news that Pope Francis has postponed his visit to the nation, he said Pope Francis continues to remind us of the cost of war, particularly on the powerless and defenseless, and urges us towards the imperative of peace. Our great desire, hope, and expectation as the SCBC for the Sudan and South Sudan is that the visit of the Holy Father hasn't been put off completely, but the pastoral visit will be reconsidered and that South Sudan as a new nation will be graced by His Holiness Pope Francis, said the president of Sudan Catholic Bishops Conference. Authorities in Algeria have demolished the Catholic Church in Sidi Moussa, a town south of Algiers, and plans to build a mosque as well as an Islamic school on the site. Government officials said that the church has become unsafe because of structural deterioration. The Algerian constitution guarantees freedom of worship, but also proclaims Islam as the state's official religion and bars all practices contrary to Islamic law. The World Food Program (WFP) has urgently appealed for 172 million U.S. dollars for its operation in northeast Nigeria, an area riddled by conflict. UN News reporter Jocelyn Sambira has more. Borno, Adamawa, and Yobi are the three states most affected by a violent insurgency waged by Boko Haram terrorists since 2009. More than 5.2 million in those areas are hungry, and a third of them are on the brink of famine. The lean season, the period between harvests that lasts from May to August, has started in the West African nation, driving up food prices and depleting the meager resources of millions of people affected by the conflict. A funding shortfall has forced WFP to suspend plans to ramp up assistance during the June-August lean season. The agency now plans to reach only 1.3 million people monthly during the critical period, down from a previous target of 1.8 million. Meanwhile, international partners have made financial pledges in support of humanitarian response efforts in the drought-hit Horn of Africa, following a visit to the region. The Joint African Union (AU) and the UN delegation concluded a five-day visit to the region in Nairobi after meeting with drought-affected communities in Ethiopia and Somalia. Here's Jocelyn Sambira once again. The delegation included representatives from Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, the African Development Bank, the U.S. Aid Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance, and the World Bank. The African Union announced an immediate contribution of a hundred thousand dollars for Somalia. The World Bank will contribute fifty million dollars to scale up livelihoods and resilient efforts in Somalia, and plans to support the UN in developing a framework for economic recovery. And Qatar pledged ten million in humanitarian assistance to Somalia and an additional three million dollars to Ethiopia. Ahmed Al Meraiki, the humanitarian envoy of the Secretary General, said that the communities they visited in Somalia and Ethiopia expressed a deep desire to build their own resilience and not rely on aid efforts indefinitely. 
A high-level panel on migration in Africa launched earlier this month in Liberia is hoping to stem the tide of young people forced to flee their homelands because they cannot find jobs. Tokozile Ruzvizo heads the Social Development Policy Division at the UN Economic Commission for Africa, UNECA, which established the body together with the African Union, AU. The high-level panel on migration is made up of a diversified group of people. It includes um, representatives from the private sector. It includes high-level representatives from governments, civil society organizations from the academia, uh, the youth. Um, it also represents people coming from different special interests on the continent, as well as migration experts, both on the continent and in the diaspora. And you can see... It, this is such a varied group because migration cuts across all the different groupings that I've just mentioned. So we are looking at concept notes, we are looking at issues papers, we are looking at case studies that we look at examples of what is happening in receiving countries, uh, in transit countries, in uh, countries that actually see migrants living from. So all this will be contained in a report with critical recommendations that will be presented to the um, summit in uh, June 2018. And by summit you mean the African, the African U- Union uh, summit of heads of states uh, and government. I'm sure as you know uh, migration is a critical issue not just on the continent but globally. Uh, the high level panel on migration is critical first to you know, to get the heads of states, the uh, political leadership, uh, the technical leadership on the continent to engage much more on, uh, on the issues of migration so that their policies, so that their actions, so that we respond as a continent uh, to migration. And specifically, to look at the drivers of migration, look at employment with a youth, youth bulge that we have on the continent, which is leading to the high levels of young people migrating, the panel will be able to bring to the attention of the heads of states cutting-edge policies and recommendations on how they can start addressing the issues of migration. In the presentations when the, uh, the high-level panel was being launched, one of the figures that came out, and I remember the president being taken aback that 49.5% of the migrants are women. She didn't realize that there is such a large number of women that is migrating. They are migrating as uh, domestic workers. They are being displaced in countries of conflict. They are in the uh, teaching field. They are in the nursing field. So there is a high level of migration amongst women, which unfortunately is often not recognized. So the high level panel on migration will be looking at all these issues and how to help them. I cannot help but share an experience. I thought, my goodness, is it because I'm traveling to the high level panel on migration? On the flight from Addis Ababa, I sat next to a I sat next to a young Ghanaian woman, 21 years old. She was coming back from Saudi Arabia. And when she shared her experiences with me of what she had gone through for the two years that she was in Saudi Arabia, I was literally in tears. As she was in tears, I realized that this high-level panel has a lot of work that it has to address for us to ensure that there's justice for the migrants. 
Meanwhile, the European Union has launched a formal infringement procedure against three of its member nations, the Czech Republic, Hungary and Poland, for failing to comply with the 2015 agreement to harbour asylum seekers. Vatican Radio Stefan Balls has more. The European Union's Migration Commissioner Dimitris Afrumpaulos says Hungary, Poland and the Czech Republic have ignored repeated calls from the EU's Executive European Commission to participate in the relocation of refugees. He complained that only 20,861 of the 160,000 refugees have so far been resettled in EU member states. I regret to see that uh, despite our repeated calls to pledge and relocate the Czech Republic, Hungary and Poland have not yet taken the necessary action. For this reason, the Commission has decided to launch infringement procedures against these three member states. We have to be fair towards those member states that do fulfill their obligations. The three states could be referred to the European Court of Justice and eventually face heavy fines. But Poland has already signaled it will not fall into line with the quota, saying it would only encourage thousands or even millions of migrants to risk their lives and come to the EU. And Hungary's right-wing anti-migration government already launched a controversial campaign, Let's Stop Brussels, and a national consultation on how far the EU should intervene in what it views as the country's domestic affairs. Hungary also decided recently to detain most asylum seekers, including children, in container camps. The EU's relocation plan was conceived in response to the large influx of migrants and refugees in 2015 in an attempt to relieve pressure on frontline states, mainly Greece and Italy, where the vast majority of migrants were arriving. EU nations agreed to relocate 160,000 asylum seekers between them, though Romania, the Czech Republic, Slovakia and Hungary voted against accepting mandatory quotas. Hungary and Slovakia challenged the quota last month in the European Court. The infringement procedures come amid wider international concern about what critics view as a threat to fundamental rights of refugees and other citizens in countries such as Hungary. In one of the latest moves, and despite international concern, Hungary's ruling parties in Parliament adopted a law Tuesday that would force several foreign-backed human rights groups and other non-governmental organizations to be registered as foreign-funded groups and name their larger donors. Critics have compared it to harsh measures in Russia and see it as part of a larger crackdown on what Prime Minister Viktor Orban views as pro-migration liberal groups interfering in Hungary's domestic affairs. The policy could even lead to the closure of the prestigious Central European University in Budapest. Orban has made clear he wants to turn Hungary into an illiberal society, if possible, without refugees.
And on to international news. Addressing diplomats at the UN headquarters on Tuesday, the Assistant Secretary General for Rule of Law and Security Institutions in the Department of Peacekeeping Operations, Alexander Zuev, said the threats posed by landmines, explosive remnants of war and improvised explosive devices exacerbate humanitarian crisis and hinder emergency responses. In Mali, training of peacekeepers enhances their capacity to mitigate the threat posed by improvised explosive devices and saves their lives. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, clearing explosive remnants of war and other explosive hazards enables the safe movement of conflict-affected community. In South Sudan, the use of explosive detection dogs ensures that protection of civilian sites are free from explosive hazards. In Iraq, vast risk education campaigns and humanitarian clearance of improvised explosive devices allows the safe return of displaced populations and delivery of humanitarian assistance. And finally, in preparation for the October 2018 meeting of the Synod of Bishops, which will discuss youth and vocation, the Office of the Synod has launched a new website designed to encourage contributions by young people. The site features a questionnaire to which young people are asked to respond. The results will help guide the preparation of a working document for the Synod's discussion. The Synod's website, youth.synod2018.va, is available to the public as of today, June 14th, with an online questionnaire and related information available in English, Italian, French, Spanish and Portuguese. And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You are still listening to Catholic View and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up next, it's our feature program. And today we take a look at the role of the Catholic Church in Central African Republic. The war-weary people of the Central African Republic, CAR, have no alternative but to rely on the UN and the international community to help forge a lasting peace. That's the firm belief of the head of the UN mission in CAR, MINUSCA, Parfait Onanga Ayanga, who said that without their support on the ground, another massacre or even genocide could have taken place. Violent clashes between Muslims and Christian armed groups in 2013 plunged the CAR into civil conflict in 2013. And despite successful elections last year, there has been a rise in attacks against civilians as well as UN peacekeepers in recent months. Mr. Onanga Ayanga briefed the UN Security Council on Monday and said that MINUSCA's resolve to protect and serve the people of CAR was stronger than ever. Remember, the elections took place without uh, a truly political process in the form of a peace agreement in the country. So which may indicate indeed that there are a number of core political issues that remain unresolved. The, the country itself, the president has established a, a, a dialogue process around the, 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 the disarmament program that uh, partners are supporting and the UN is an important uh, partner in this. Uh, and he has also made it very clear that uh, 
that DDR process will not be only a, a technical uh, endeavor, but can be open to address broader political issues. So which is a, um, a, a welcome uh, development. But we also have come to uh, agree all together that uh, this might not be enough. I'm not seeing any justification to so much brutality and, and awful killings of innocent people. It's important to note, for example, that the committee established by the president bringing together all the 14 armed groups has been working. They have been meeting. But what we're saying is beyond these meetings, and these meetings should not be only for the sake of um, just, you know, going through the motions. And what must happen is that as, as these groups accept to go meet and talk, they should stop the killing. I do believe by mid-July we must have a roadmap and we must come to some concrete agreements as to uh, what needs to take place. And meanwhile, the cessation of hostilities should uh, be respected by all. Because we know, and the head of state and the, and the government is very clear about it, that there is no substitute, no alternative to uh, what MINUSCA is providing. I mean, the real question is, where would be Central African Republic without MINUSCA? It's a huge complex you know, uh, problem. It's difficult because we share the frustration of the population because nobody wants to live uh, in peace tomorrow. People want to live peace today. And what I'm telling them is that you may help us to help you. Uh, and one of the ways of doing it will be to stop inflicting so much suffering to your own people. And, and, and Minuska is, uh, um, you know, I have a lot of uh, 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 compassion and sympathy for, for my people. It's a difficult undertaking that uh, we've been interested with by the Security Council. But we will continue to doing because we know that at the end of the day, the people of Central African Republic have no alternative. Uh, and and the, the, the state of, of the nation is so weak that I didn't mean for, for the UN and for the International Committee Solidarity to project this force on the ground it would, have been, it would have been maybe on the verge of another massacre and genocide. Now, besides help from the UN and various organizations, the Catholic Church, together with the CAR government, are working tirelessly to bring peace to the nation. Now, to find out more about the type of work and support that the Catholic Church is involved with in CAR, I spoke to Father Innocent Mark Ali. Thank you for your question, Sheila. You know, the Catholic Church is playing a very, very good and very important necessary role in this situation, social situation in Central Africa as a whole. You understand? Like now, I think you people normally follow the footsteps of the Cardinal. The Cardinal and I belong to his team, you know, we normally we went to the, to the West to talk to the armed groups people, and we went recently, there was about two to three weeks or a month uh, or so, we went to talk to those groups. But very unfortunately, they didn't listen to us, because as regards as what is happening now, they, they have not even attended to, to, to what the Cardinal told them. The role of the Catholic Church and the priests, and mostly, the presence of the Catholic priests in those villages, in the parishes, are like the small light that is shining in the, in, the, in the darkness. Because all the things that are happening, what people are going through, the only place that they can run to is the Catholic Church. All our parishes, all our hospitals, all our seminaries, all our public houses are just filled up with people. You know, they are running away from the, from the violence. So that's the situation. 
if it's not because of the Catholic Church, I don't know where can we talk from as we are talking now. So we thank God for the Catholic Church and all the things they accept this sacrifice. They are present among people. They are trying their best to, to, to give hope still because this is not all. Then we try to talk to people that no, it's not end of all. We still have hope. One day, one day, we can still, you know, regain again. So that we hope we are giving to people. And that role, even the government and, uh, and the humanitarian officials who are working here, they are all aware of what I'm saying. And that brings me up to time. This has been your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Peach for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. Should you wish to get in touch with me, feel free to send me an email, Shayla at Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Peach. <laughs>